Hey listeners, the following podcast contains spoilers for the films The Farewell and Ford vs. Ferrari. If you haven't seen either of these, you're going to want to pause now and go watch those. Come back when you're done to hear us discuss. Alright guys, enjoy the episode. Do not let your heart be troubled. We are back. I am Forrest, and you are listening to We Watch Movies. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Elijah. Elijah, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good and continually continually impressed by your intros. Hey, what can I say? I'm a natural. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on with it because I'm super excited about this Okay, episode. so we're super excited because <laughs> today we are talking about an awesome film. That film is La La Land. And I've been waiting so long to talk about this film. I'm very excited about it. Elijah, are you excited? It's going to see how long you're going to take that. We're actually not talking about La La Land. Crap, then I have not But we will talk about La La Land in the future. That's what you said last week. (laughs) Yes, we are. We are in the future. But we need Not more that future far. to happen. <laughs> All right, we are we are actually watching and discussing the 2019 Lulu Long, Lulu Wong film, The Farewell. It was Elijah's pick. He's very excited about it. It'll be love a this conversation. Movie. Spoiler alert! I love this movie so much. <laughs> Gee, couldn't tell. The second film we'll be talking about is Ford versus Ferrari. It is James Mangold's 2019 Best Picture nominee, starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon. We'll get into that. Okay, in a just bit. just one second. One second. How was the farewell not nommed for Best Picture? I have serious problems with that. <laughs> I was surprised it wasn't nominated for it. I don't think it was nominated for anything at the Oscars. Nothing. That, Nothing at all. Yeah, that, that surprises me a lot. This might be the best movie of last year, and it was nominated for nothing. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we'll get to Ford v. Ferrari in a little bit, but I don't think Elijah can wait any longer. We are going to talk about yeah, the farewell. Yeah, so freaking stuff to say. <laughs> Elijah, why don't you start? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here we go. You're going to have to shut me up because I will go for hours. All right. Why don't you start? Um, Yes. So The Farewell is, as Forrest has said, directed, written and directed by Lulu Wong. And she also played the piano in the score. I, I did not it. know that. Uh, yeah, it is an American film, but actually mostly spoken in Chinese. Um, it is the story of... Oh, well, I have a, a story premise based. written up. Oh, yeah, you do? You want to hit us with the premise? Oh, I do. Let's, right. let's hit more more professionalism incoming. Chinese-American Billy Wong is shocked when she learns that her very dear grandmother, her nai-nai, is sick with stage four cancer. Billy is even more shocked upon discovering her family has no intentions of telling nai-nai she is dying. As the entire family travels to China to see her one last time under the guise of attending a fake family wedding, Billy must come to terms with losing her nai-nai and what role she plays in keeping up the deception. Based on an actual lie, this film is a fascinating look at life and death, family, culture, and the roles we play in them. You should get a job writing Blu-ray cover copy. (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, that was real good. Anyway, that's what it's about. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I watched this movie for the first time about a month ago, and I watched it again this week. Mm-hmm. And man, Lulu Wong needs to do more stuff as soon as possible. <laughs> I have never seen such a, well, I can't say that. Not in a long time have I seen such a display of artistic expression mm-hmm. from behind the camera. Like you can feel that she is directing this with a lot of care and a lot of intention behind each shot. Right. Um, it's a very personal story for her. It's very personal. Uh, you and I both listened to a podcast, I think it's called This American Life. You are correct. Um, where. Lulu Wong was interviewed a few years ago before she even made the movie and she told the real life story of this event mm-hmm. of um, her and her family lying to her Nainai about dying. Right. Um, and just the whole concept of the movie, the fact that this family who's very close knit, they, they are very, they don't see each other much, but you can tell they really care about each other and love each other. Right. Um, they all come together to lie about this stage four lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And to us in the Western world, we think that's insane. Like, right. why would you ever keep that a secret from somebody that's cruel? And I, it might, I think it's mentioned in the movie, it's illegal in the West. Right, you can't um, not tell someone their diagnosis. Yeah, it's it's literally illegal over here, and it's so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the movie, and this movie does a great job of being impartial, by the end of the movie, you think, maybe I understand. And you don't necessarily agree with it, but you understand it. And I think that's such an incredible um, accomplishment that Lulu Wang has uh, reached here. It's so impressive. All of the philosophical questions this brings up, all mm-hmm. of the cultural differences that it highlights. It's so interesting seeing the Chinese culture and how families interact there. It's also a very subtly funny movie. Yes. There's so much, yes, there's so much symbolism in a lot of the shots. One of my favorite examples is there's a scene where the whole family's talking around at the dinner table and every shot of a person is between two other people so you're looking at somebody between two other people and it just kind of shows that this family like everything in this movie is framed by the family that the family surrounds all of this and like Lulu Wang uses these shots to convey just how important the family is there's always multiple people in the shot there's always many members of the family um, right just not not overbearing, but just hmm. they're subtly there and um, just ties together how important family is to Chinese culture. Right. Uh, there is a scene in the film that stuck out clearly to me where Billy, which is the sort of fictitious version of Lulu, in fact, the movie and the actual story follow very, very closely together. There's not much change but she's having an argument with her uncle because she grew up in the West and they are obviously from China and they are steeped in Chinese culture and tradition. Mm 
and something he says to her, he points out the difference between the Western and the Eastern cultures. And he says that in the West, the focus is on the individual, individual liberty. However, in the East, there's an emphasis on one being a part of a collective whole. So the whole must do what's best mm-hmm. for the one. Yes. Yeah. I love that scene. Yeah. Um, it's so, cause it's so clearly portrayed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Just like you said, even with the way the scenes are shot, it's very much an emphasis on family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I love about it is the, uh, the reasoning they give for the lie right. uh, it happens. I, th- I think it happens in the scene um, where Billy's dad and uncle are smoking together. Right. And Billy's uncle explains that they lie because if they told her she would, if they told Nine Eye she was dying, she would then become very worried and stressed. And uh, it is their job as the family to bear that weight for her. Right. Speaking to that collective whole. Exactly. One of the things that struck me was when, because I, back in 2016, when she first publicly told this story on This American Life, I was a avid listener of the podcast. And so I had heard it. And so going back to re-listen to it after watching the movie was quite interesting. And in it, she's talking, I'm sorry, in the podcast, she's talking to her uh, little Nai her aunt, her grandmother's younger sister, Lu Hong, which by the way, she plays herself in the film, which I think is awesome. She's the only, so awesome. she's the only one that plays herself in the film, but she's talking to her and asking her aunt, or her great aunt rather, why she decided not to tell Lulu Wong's Nai Nai. And she said basically what you just said, that the fear, the worry, and the stress would be what ended up killing her. And she told this joke about two patients going in to see the doctor, one diagnosed with a terminal illness and the one perfectly healthy. But the doctor screws up the diagnoses and gives the healthy person the prognosis that he's going to die and the sick person the prognosis that he's going to live well it's the healthy person that dies and the sick person that lives yeah because the knowledge that you're dying will make you die faster i guess Um, exactly so that's the family's reasoning why they never told her Mm -hmm. which i thought was quite interesting there were several bits and pieces about the real story that really added depth and color to the film's story absolutely now before i go nuts on a lot of the details i picked up Mm -hmm. especially the second time i I do want to formally ask you what did you think of the movie did you like it (laughs) do you want me to just flat out say whether i liked it and then go into more detail yeah 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 uh yes i did like it as i uh told you previously when I first listened to the podcast and the story, it was one of the most interesting stories I had heard on the podcast. And the last year when I saw that they were turning it into a film, I was very interested. Unfortunately, I didn't get around to watching it till this past weekend. It's a very interesting story. It's very well told. The acting is phenomenal by all the family members, all the cast. 
I can't pronounce all of the cast's names. However, the person that plays Billy Wong is Aquafina, and she does a stellar job. As where the heck did she come from? She's like she's a she's a comedy person usually, right? Mm -hmm. That is my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, she she nailed it. No, she was incredible. And one of the things that stuck out to me stood out to me was Billy's posture throughout the film. Did yeah. you? This, this is a detail I did not pick up on. So please tell me. As I was watching the film, probably about 20 minutes after she arrives in China, she's sitting there talking to her nine eye or sitting in the hotel room and I'm watching her and her shoulders are terribly slumped. I don't know if you mm. noticed that. She's slumping yeah. her shoulders and it stuck out painfully to me on screen. Coincidentally, I was not the only person that noticed this. Lulu Wong noticed that Aquafina was doing this as well and at first hated it because she thought it looked awful. But she later understood, and I'll read you this quote from Lulu. She said, quote, she, in reference to Aquafina, hunched over as soon as we got back to China at first, I had no idea why she was doing it. It looked so bad, but it really worked for the character because she feels small. She doesn't know her role in China. She's not allowed to express her voice. She feels the weight on her shoulders of her family and her culture. End quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I thought that was brilliant because if you go back, I believe when she's walking through the streets of New York City on the phone with her Nai Nai, She's very, she's standing pretty upright, straight up with good posture. So I thought that was very interesting. And I'm glad it wasn't just something that didn't matter, but it was very intentional by the actress herself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Another detail I want to bring up. One of my favorite characters in this movie is a very minor character mm-hmm. but it is the Ellen. <laughs> Ellen's hilarious <laughs> sing Ellen sing um, named after the actually, exchange student <laughs> yes yep um, my one of my favorite characters is Aiko I think that's how you pronounce your name Aiko who is mm-hmm. the Japanese wife of Billy's cousin Right, I'm forgetting the name, um, and she doesn't speak a word of Chinese, mm-hmm. and she's just such a champ in this movie. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she goes through all of this, probably having very little idea what's going on around her. And my favorite part of her character is when they're at the grave of yeah. Billy's grandfather, and they're doing the bowing. Mm-hmm. It's such a little detail, but it's so impressive. Aiko, for the first few bows, since she doesn't understand Chinese, she her bows are delayed. She sees, she hears a word <laughs> and sees everyone bow, and she's like, oh, I'm supposed to bow, and mm-hmm. then bows quickly, and then eventually she's like, okay, I, I kind of understand what's going on, so she's more, she's more in time with the bows, and it's such a good little detail that I noticed, and right. I just thought that was amazing and adds to just how genuine the movie feels. Right. Yeah, she doesn't speak Mandarin. She doesn't speak English. She's just there along for the ride. 
I love the interaction between Billy and her grandmother in talking about the fiance say and the grandmother says i don't like her she doesn't know anything and billy says well nai nai that's because she doesn't speak mandarin she literally doesn't speak chinese <laughs> and the grandmother says no it's because she's dumb <laughs> it's like come on nai nai and i oh, love that man. that actually happened in real life yeah yeah that was mentioned in the podcast too one of the things that i thought was interesting between Lulu Wang's real story and the film. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in the film, it's Billy, Lulu Wang's character, that comes after the rest of the family and yep. can barely yep. contain her emotions when seeing her Nai When in real life, Lulu Wang arrived in China before her parents. And when her parents arrived, it was her father who was having a hard time containing his emotions at the house yeah. when he saw his mother. Yeah, honestly, it's a very interesting tidbit. I think it can probably just be chalked up to it makes a better movie the way they did it. Oh, definitely, because then the emphasis is on Billy, on Billy. and that's that relationship between her and her grandmother is very yeah. interesting. <laughs> but the thing that I thought added another depth to it is the fact that it wasn't just Billy or Lulu who was not really okay with this decision to not tell their her grandmother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Another thing I wanted to point out, and this goes back okay. to the culture, and this goes back to our conversation about the family yeah. is to me, it seemed very clear that Billy was very comfortable in Western culture uh, being raised on it. She doesn't agree with her family's decision not to tell her grandmother she's dying, but there's this moment halfway through the film. And I think it's in an argument with her own mother where Billy admits that she wishes her family never left China. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. And while she doesn't... After they, right. It's after they pass by their old neighborhood, Nai's old neighborhood. Exactly. And while she doesn't dislike America, she also has this longing to be a part of a family that is only found in her home in China, which mm -hmm. continuing off of that, Later in the film, when she rushes to the hospital to intercept the doctor's results, test results, to get them doctored before her grandmother gets a hold on of them, even though she doesn't agree with her family's decision, her culture and her family mean so much to her that there's no way she was going to ruin the family's plans. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, if you don't mind me interjecting. I don't. Uh, That's all I was going to say. Uh, okay, fair enough. I'm going to give you some rapid fire favorites. From rapid fire. All right. Rapid fire favorites. Here we go. Uh, one. Actually, first to start, just two small details I noticed that mm -hmm. I don't know if they 
I haven't determined a meaning for them, but I just found them interesting. A lot of the dialogue scenes, um, which is basically the whole movie, I guess, but a lot of the um, close-ups are framed interestingly, where instead of having the person's face fill the whole frame, the person's right. face is toward the bottom of the frame with a lot of space above their head. Um, mm. And it, it allows you to kind of take in a lot of the backgrounds, which are beautiful. The set design is beautiful. Um, and then another detail I noticed was for the first half of the movie, there's almost no camera movement. Mm -hmm. There's very little. It's just static shots, which I like that style a lot. But really in the whole movie, there's few, there's a, just, just a select few shots where the camera actually moves, which I thought was interesting. Um, but anyway, just three, three of my favorite scenes slash parts of this movie. One is the piano scene where um, Billy's dad and uncle and Nai-Nai are sitting at the table and the two guys are drinking and they're not supposed to be drinking. Um, and Billy's mom comes in and starts kind of yelling about it. It's like, stop drinking. You're not supposed to be drinking, et cetera, et cetera. And there's kind of yelling going on. And Billy just sits down at the piano and starts <laughs> playing and drowns out all of the fighting. And to me, that was saying, I don't want my last memories of my family together to be fighting or anger or anything like that. Interesting and, analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was Billy's way of drowning out that and trying to focus on the good parts of uh, her family being together. Um, second is um, maybe the scene, this, this scene gave me chills both times I watched it. It's toward the end of the movie when they're leaving China and um, Billy and everyone's like leaving the hotel and it's bustling and loud and doors are closing and people are talking a lot. And then in the middle of that, just out of nowhere, it just cuts to a shot of Billy and Nai Nai hugging. Hmm. And it just felt like such a sharp, it felt like a breath, like, the movie was like in the middle of this loud room and then just closed the door and it was silent and it was just like <sighs> right and they finally got that moment where that that was the farewell uh, <laughs> she that was the goodbye that was the the hug and it just that sharp cut but so much more emphasis on the actual act of the farewell and kind of added to the weight of this is probably the last time I'm ever going to see my grandmother and she doesn't even know it. Right. Um, and I thought that was really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. and you know, the very, the, oh, go ahead. Talk. <laughs> now that you mentioned the film's title, I thought it interesting to point out that the Chinese title translates to don't tell her. Yeah, that is interesting. I think I heard that tidbit somewhere, but mm. it's, again, that shows how much that is a part of Chinese culture, I think. And I just love that this film was filmed a couple blocks from the real Nai Nai's home, and she visited the set every day, and the cast and crew had t-shirts and hats with the film's title on it. And every day, Lulu Wong had to go around hiding hats and t-shirts and begging the <laughs> cast and crew not to mention 
anything about her illness to her grandmother. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just crazy. It's crazy. In fact, she was going to film the film in a nearby city instead of her grandmother's home city. But when yeah. her grandmother found out about that, she said, no, that won't do. It's about family. This is our home. <laughs> Gotta respect Nina. Yes, you do. Yeah. But I interrupt um, you. Continue. <laughs> Please interrupt me more. I'm talking so much. <laughs> um, but one of the last things I'll mention is, I don't know if you noticed this, but throughout the movie, you basically get to see every of the prominent characters crack. Yeah. You see Billy crack when she starts crying um, in like the before the wedding in the room where they're looking for the earring. Right. You see um, her uncle crack on stage. He starts crying. You see her cousin crack uh, during the wedding after he's been drinking a lot. He breaks down. You see uh, her dad break down. Um, just he does it more quietly, but like it's that's more of a process. I feel like he's just slowly still coming to terms with him throughout the movie. But the one that got me the most was her mom. She throughout the whole movie seems like the solid one. Like she's fine with this. She can endure this, even if she she really doesn't agree with the whole thing. But she's going along with it. Right. And then at the last taxi ride to the airport to leave China, you see her just wipe a tear away. And yeah. one crack in her facade the whole movie. And I was like, it, it affects everyone, even if you don't think it will affect them. And right. Right. It just makes you think, what would you do? How would this make you feel? And it also shows that this family really is bearing the weight for Nai Nai. No, you are correct. And as we come to a close in this section there were a couple questions i did want to ask you oh we have to stop we have to stop eventually because if I we don't end so this podcast this is a podcast with la la land i'm not i wasn't wrapping it up yet i was just segueing what you said was interesting about the family's desire to bear this burden for their grandmother and Billy slash Lulu never really comes to terms with this or agrees with it. She can accept that's what her family's doing and that she has no choice in the matter, but she never agrees with it. In real life, yeah. I thought it was quite fascinating that in the, in the podcast, while she's talking to her great aunt, her great aunt mentions that Nainai, nine years earlier, had had breast cancer and had surgery and never told anyone about it because she didn't want anyone yeah. to worry. Yeah, that was, that was crazy too. Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible how much these people care about, like, just making sure everyone around them is, is okay, is not burdened by anything. Right. Yeah. 
And another thing the film does extremely well is directly about the lie. It comes off very foreign and very weird to us. And the film helps explain the decisions and the culture as to why they decide to do that. But it never forces you to agree with it. It says, this is the way it is. You may not agree with it. You might agree with it. But hopefully you can understand a little more as to why they decide to do it. Because I don't think Lulu... I love that. I love that point. I don't think Lulu Wong still agrees with it. But Mm -hmm. she at least understands it. And so as we kind of wrap up this section, there were three questions. And I think I'll just read them all out and you can answer them how you want. Yeah. It was before before we do this, before mm-hmm. this, this is one more point I want to okay. bring up quickly. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Go ahead. Last one. This movie's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really funny. There's a lot of subtle humor in here. Like I know this is an actual thing in um, Eastern countries, but her little cousin walks in and his shirt is just a black t-shirt with the English word yes on it. <laughs> that cracked me up. Yeah. And the scene at the gravestone where they give the uh, Pat, the grandpa who's died in the grave, they give him a cigarette. And I was like, he quit. He's like, no, he didn't. He just told you he quit. Another lie to keep people from stressing. Yeah, it's just, it's really funny. There's a lot of great little moments like that. One anyway, hit me with moments, your questions. One of my favorite moments was when her uncle is walking her back to the hotel, <laughs> telling her all these things she already knows. And she just repeats, I know, I know, I know. I know. And the last time she says, I know, they don't even translate. There's no subtitle. There's no subtitle. And I love, I love that. that that actually happened in real life. Yeah. When I heard that, I just laughed. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Three questions to uh-huh. section up. I'll ask all three of them in succession and you can answer them how you like. First, one, what did you think of the family's lie? Two, did the film change your opinion of the lie? And three, and this might be the more difficult one or simple to answer, uh, would you ever consider making a similar lie in your own life? I was hoping we would talk about this. Um, One, I thought at first, I was like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There's no point to that. I thought it was kind of stupid. And then kind of entering number two, it, it, the movie changed my mind. I didn't, I don't think I agree, but like you said before, it helped me understand. All it did was present facts and present the situation and how this culture handles it. And I understand it a lot more. Um, I see the reasoning behind it. I see why you do it. And I think it's a very noble endeavor. Um, But to transition to your third question, I don't think for something this serious about someone literally losing their life, I don't think I would ever participate in a lie like that. Right. Um, in my life yeah but it does such a wonderful job of bringing you into this culture and showing you why it is the way it is Mm. no i like i like your answers a lot and i agree with you i think there are certain situations in life 
where sparing someone the burden of grief is the right course of action. I don't think necessarily in regards to their own health. If I knew someone was going to die and I knew they were sick with cancer, I would, I would tell them if that was my duty, if I knew and they didn't. However, if someone knew the day I was going to die, I would never want to know that information. So it's a very interesting conversation with yeah. many different layers. And yeah, it absolutely is. So I think before we move on, we should give our final scores for this film, The Farewell. Yes, I agree. Would you like me to go first? Please do. Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure after first viewing. I knew I loved the movie a ton, like an absurd amount. Mm -hmm. um, but second viewing confirmed it. This movie is my favorite of 2019, is threatening my top 10 of all time, wow. and is a 10 out of wow. 10 for me. Wow. So it's a perfect film for you. Uh, but yes, I, I think it's a perfect movie that, to me. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It just, it's one of those movies, kind of like La La Land with you, honestly. Where <laughs> I went in and was like, okay, I've heard good things. I'm not sure I'm going to love this. That doesn't seem very interesting. And I came out of it. It just, everything clicked. I love this movie. And you need to watch it if you haven't. La La Land is everything. Okay. <laughs> La La Land is everything. I agree. I agree with you. I'm not disputing that. <laughs> I watched it twice last week in the course of three days. That's awesome. It's an but amazing. We're talking movie. about the farewell. Which oh, is a right. 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> so, hearing that it's a 10 out of 10 for you, anything less than that is going to be a disappointment. So, I think regardless. Uh, I'm not expecting the same from you. <laughs> I'm not expecting the same. <laughs> As I've said, I like this film. I was enamored with the story when I first heard it back in 2016. Incredibly interested with this film. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I've been milling over this for several days now. And it you may think it's too low, but seven and a half is really good. I really like this film. It doesn't quite get into the upper tier, but it's a beautiful film, a beautiful story with a lot of heart, beautiful acting. Lulu Wong did a incredible job directing. How was she not nominated for Best Director? <laughs> there she are a lot of questions this movie. with the Academy Awards last year. I have a lot of she questions. She killed this movie. She was it was one of, it's one of the best directorial performances I've ever seen. Mm. Well, you'll have to let me know when you check out some of her other movies. She doesn't have any. No, she does have <laughs> another movie, I think. There's one coming out. I, this was her first theatrical release. Ever. Okay, okay. Well, when you check out the other ones... You let me know. And maybe He's doing we'll, a sci-fi next. Maybe we'll discuss it on this podcast. Yeah, we are. She's the best. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> that uh, was, just, just for that reference. There's no just, option here. <laughs> just for audience reference, uh, Forrest, you also gave Parasite a seven and a half. So I did. That's, yeah, that's just to show that mm -hmm. there are movies worth watching. 7.5 is not a bad score. No, by no means. And yeah. it's interesting you brought up Parasite because I was milling back and forth between did I like it less than Parasite? Did I like it more than Parasite? And it landed on the same spectrum as Parasite for me. 
Yeah, which is impressive. It is because Parasite won Best Picture. Yeah. All right. We have talked ad nauseum about The Farewell, and I believe we could go on longer. However, it's time to move on. And yes, we must. The movie we're going to talk about next was my pick. It was a film you hadn't seen before. I watched it in theaters back in November. It is Ford versus Ferrari, a Best Picture nominee, did not win, directed by James Mangold, starring Christian Bale as Ken Miles, Matt Damon as Carol Shelby, Katrina Balf as Molly Miles, John Bernthal as Lee Iacocca, Josh Lucas as Leo Beebe, Noah Jupe as Peter Miles, and a whole bunch of other people. It's a great movie. I loved it. That's why I picked it. James Mangold is the most underappreciated director in Hollywood. Elijah, please tell me what you thought of this film. I don't think James Mangold's underappreciated. Oh, His I two think most he recent movies have been <laughs> has have been nominated for Oscars. But no one's talking about him on the same scale they're talking about Christopher Nolan. Darn. I'm serious, <laughs> Who man. Is? Nope. But he is. Christopher Nolan's on another level. I think anyway. he should be discussed in the same conversations as people talk about Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino. There should be James Mangold. That's pushing it a little bit. No, I heartily disagree. He is undervalued, underappreciated, underrated. Elijah, tell me what you think about this film. (laughs) It sucked. Wow. Okay, moving on to segment two. Just kidding, it didn't suck. I actually really liked it. Yeah. So in this film, the Ford Motor Company enlists the help of car maker and former Le Mans winner Carol Shelby in their quest to build the ultimate race car that can beat Ferrari at the 24 hours of Le Mans. Based on true events, what unfolds is a story that transcends cars and the sport of racing. Elijah, your thoughts. Honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um the main takeaway from this movie for me was if you have a good enough script, a good enough cast, a good enough director, you can watch, you can make a movie about anything, mm-hmm. be watchable, not only watchable, but excellent and entertaining, even if you're not a fan of that thing. Like, I like cars. I, I like cars. I'm a fan. I watch uh, car shows. <laughs> I've seen the movie Cars, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I like Cars, so I did have interest in this topic. But I know for a fact that if I didn't, I still would have loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's one of those movies where it's hard to really pinpoint many flaws because everything is just solid. It's just a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I know from talking to my dad, who's a motorhead, gearhead, forget what they're called. Um, it's both. Fair enough. Or he, if you're in England, it's a petrol head. So. Yes, I knew that. I was trying not to say that because <laughs> we're not in Britain. <laughs> oh, by um, the way, for all our European audience, Ford versus Ferrari came out in your region as Le Mans 66. So if you're having any confusions, that's the film we're talking about. Uh, yes, we, we have a lot of European listeners. Oh, yes, we do. Parlez-vous <laughs> um, français? <laughs> uh, but this movie just, I know, I know it's extremely, extremely accurate 
-hmm. with the cars, everything down to the engine noises of the different cars, the replicas created for the movie were very accurate. Everything mm -hmm. was painstakingly recreated. I know that. And it shows it, it just, it's a really good movie. I can pop this in. This is, it's just watchable. I could pop this in on a Tuesday night if I don't know what to watch and I'd be totally happy and entertained. Yeah. It really captivates you pretty quickly. Yeah, it does. One of the things that struck me on rewatch, you and I both watched it coincidentally uh, around the same time last night. And something I'd forgotten since I see, had seen it back in November is how beautiful of a film this is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so it's pretty. It is. It's so beautifully shot. And to continue off of that, the racing scenes are so wonderfully fun and engaging. This is coming from someone who hates car chases, hates racing scenes in films. I didn't even like the podcast race in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, and I love The Phantom Menace. I would always can watch just, it. Can I just pause for a second and appreciate the fact that you just said? Did the I say the Phantom race? Crap! Did the you called it the podcast race? The Phantom Menace <laughs> pod race. You have pod. to keep that. If you cut that, I'm going to be really upset with you. <laughs> so, in the Phantom Menace, the pod race, I was not a big I fan. Even like though that. most people loved that scene, I would often skip over it. This film. I loved the racing scenes so much. All three races shown in the film are so exciting, so engaging. There's so much going on that it never has a dull moment. Would you agree? Yes, and I will sum up my thoughts succinctly with this statement. Quite literally, I was on the edge of my couch leaning forward with my hands clasped in front of my face for the last lap of Daytona, rooting <laughs> for Ken Miles. I was like, I was literally watching a NASCAR race. I was rooting for this guy and it was a movie and I knew he was going to win. <laughs> what about that moment where Matt Damon's Carol Shelby walks out onto the track and holds up the sign that says 7,000 plus go like hell. I was like, Let's get it. <laughs> Let's go. And We're I doing want, it. I just want to talk for a moment. How amazing, it was an amazing performance, but how terribly, terribly obnoxious was Josh Lucas's Leo Beatty? I've not hated a character more in a long time. <laughs> I've, I've never wanted to punch someone in the face more. I, and that's nothing against know, Josh Lucas. <laughs> remember when Ken Miles punched shelby sucker punched him <laughs> yeah i was waiting for him to sucker punch that guy the whole movie and i was a little sad that it never happened yeah. you just mentioned one of my favorite scenes i love that scene where ken and carol the bread brawl yeah i love it when they're just fighting and molly comes out and sets up a lawn chair and sitting there watching him reading a magazine and ken's got is on uh Carol's back and he's got him in a headlock and Carol grabs, Shelby grabs a can of peas and looks at it 
and drops it and picks up the loaf of Wonder Bread and just starts bashing Ken in the face with the loaf of bread. I think at one point during that fight, one of them is like, are you okay, dude? (laughs) He's like, yeah, and then they just keep going. It was hilarious, and it just showed that these are two really passionate guys that are so driven towards success and their desire to win that everything else kind of goes by the wayside. They can argue, they can throw wrenches at each other and it's all fair game. Yeah. One thing I do want to really emphasize is usually when I watch a movie with big name actors, Mm -hmm. I will always refer to those characters as the actors. Right. But if you've noticed, I've been saying Shelby and my Shelby and Ken, right. Those, the performances were so top tier and excellent that I actually remembered their names <laughs> and was able to it, it can use them because that that's who they were. Well, I wasn't watching Christian Bale and Matt Damon. It was Ken Miles and Carol Shelby. And that was the performances were just sublime. I would just like to point out how amazing of an actor Christian Bale is. He transforms into every role. He's played cowboys. He's played Batman. He's played psycho businessmen. He's played low life 1970s hustlers. And he plays this role. And the vice principal. Nope, not principal. Mm-hmm. Vice president. Vice words president. Happen. Words happen. <laughs> Sometimes the wrong words. But he plays. Yeah, podcast race. <laughs> Oof. He plays this role, and for the entire film, I did not see Christian Bale once. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And Matt Damon was incredible as Carol Shelby. I loved his southern accent. It was awesome. The little little bit of Texas he had in his drawl. Yeah. And I'll say this. Usually, Matt Damon sticks out to me in movies. Like, oh, yeah, that's Matt Damon. And, like, I love Matt Damon. He's awesome. Like in True Grit. (laughs) Yeah. What are but, you doing here, Matt? <laughs> but this time, like, he totally mm-hmm. disappeared into it. Yeah, absolutely. He, he did not feel like a sore thumb. <laughs> Can I just ask this question? How did neither of them get a nomination for Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor? At least a nomination. I'm not saying a win, but how did neither yeah. of them get nominated? Yeah, yeah. That blows my mind. Agreed. At least, in my opinion, Damon especially deserved it. I know you were more of a fan of Bale, but both of them could have been nominated. I would have not complained with either of them being nominated. And I'm not quite sure who would be the supporting and who would be the main lead actor there because they both played off of each other so well. Yeah, I think Damon would probably be supporting. I would think so. I would agree there. Yeah. So what did you think about the reveal scene? I cannot remember the name of the car, the Ford car that they were revealing. But when Carol asks Ken to come out to the car reveal and he's giving a speech and... Yeah, there's a Mustang reveal. The Mustang. And and BB comes up and is being a little bit of a schmuck talking to you know talking down to ken and ken just lays it into him about how bad the car is doesn't care that he's the executive vice president of the ford motor company yeah 
I loved it. That that felt like some come up, some pre comeuppance. Mm, it was awesome. And then following from that scene to the scene of Carol flying the plane, trying to yes, live. that was great. And was uh, great. John Bernthal's Leia saying, "I think it's time to buckle up." <laughs> Dude, this movie's funny. It's, it is. It's so funny. I love my favorite. I laughed out loud multiple times, but my favorite one was when the Ferrari guys are scrambling, like, where the heck did the stopwatches go? <laughs> and Damon and Shelby pulls one out. And one of his pit crew members is like, Hey, where'd you get that stopwatch? Like he's like, Hey, you want one? They're Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that Shelby the entire 24 hours of Lamont is just screwing with the Ferrari team oh, as so much as he can. So uh, good. Speaking about, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just another detail I loved. I, I cannot speak as to how accurate this movie was mm-hmm. um, narratively. I'm assuming McLaren was given the victory in real life. I don't know for sure. That's correct. But, Okay, so um, I I just appreciated that Miles got his moment when Ferrari just gave him the little nod, like he tipped his hat. I love that and scene. I think, I think that's all Miles needed. I think when that happened, he knew he'd won. Um, Absolutely. When Enzo tips his hat, uh, tips yeah. his hat like that, when... All of the other people, all the media is rushing towards McLaren's car. I, I love that scene. And it's because, in my estimation, because Ferrari recognized that Miles' passion was about the car. Just as much as it was Ferrari's passion. They talked about earlier in the film how he was bankrupt because he cared, because he had spent all his money on making the cars. It wasn't about mass production. It wasn't a business to him. It was his life. And to see Ken and to an extent and uh, Carol, their passion was for the race and for the car. And the entire film, they were butting heads with corporate and the fact that Ford was only there to sell cars. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the scene where Shelby takes uh, Henry Ford the second out in the G two forty. That is my favorite scene. I was hoping you'd bring it up. Oh, it's your favorite scene. Go talk about it then. I just love that he gets the guy in the car and just whoosh. <laughs> he says, uh, "Shelby says, are you ready?" And he's like, he gives like a thumbs up, let's go, finger, yeah. you know, point, let's go, and then just takes off, and he's crying at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. I love. I also love that the crying wasn't like fear or anything. He just he was wishing his dad yeah. could have seen it, and I yeah. thought that was one of the few emotional moments we got from the executives. Mm-hmm. And and I love that he locked Leo Beebe in his office. Yes, I was such a fan of that. I love it because he had such this as. Lee Iacocca says in the film, he's it's personal. And he's doing everything he can to try to screw Ken, try to keep him from racing the car. 
And at one point he says that Ken is not reliable. Ford means reliability. Put a Ford man in a Ford car, right? Yeah. Which as a side note, it's interesting because at the end of the film, I think along the way, you can tell that Ken is very much a reliable man. He even wants to quit racing to get a job to provide for his family, even though his wife is like, hang on a second. Think about this. This is your life. Do you really want to do that? He's reliable. He's dependable. And then at the end of the film, when he decides to slow down, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but at the end of the film, it's so clear that BB was wrong about Miles. Yeah. Yeah. And two things I need Mm -hmm. to bring up. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of them is maybe my favorite aspect of the movie. And that is um, the line from Shelby's speech that rings throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Um, And that is, there are a few, a precious few who need to do something. Right. Um, And Ken Miles needed to race. Right. Um, And I love that. I think that's such an amazing line about not just racing, but about anybody's passion, anybody's drive, anyone's calling. Mm -hmm. Um, That some people do need to do something. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, there's so many phenomenal moments. I um, go ahead. Sorry. The other thing I wanted to bring up quickly. Mm-hmm. So nice to have a sports movie where the wife was supportive. I was about to bring that same thing up. <laughs> His wife is so awesome because she's like, Let's do this. Yeah. $200 a day. I'm in. <laughs> I, I love it because he says he throws out the trophies. His son, Noah, uh, not Noah Jupe, but Peter. And by the way, Noah Jupe is showing up everywhere now. He's been he's in a quiet place. He's been in this. He's going to be in a quiet place part two later on this year. Yeah. He's, he's, awesome. a, he's a big name and he's not a Stranger Things kid. So I'm excited <laughs> to see what he does later on. But Ken's discussing with his wife, as I mentioned earlier, and she's really like, think about this. This is your life. Are you sure you want to do this? And then later on in the film, when they're in the car and he was out with Shelby the night before looking at the race car and he hadn't mentioned it to her and she just takes off down the road and she's upset and he doesn't quite understand. And she says, basically, she doesn't care what he does. Yeah. She just wants him, just don't lie. Just tell me the truth. Yeah. Oh, it was so refreshing. And the best exactly. sports movie I've ever seen. And then he says, I haven't, I haven't made a decision. They're offering 200 a day, which is great money today. Can you imagine back in 19, you know, 60s? Yeah. yeah. She's like, are you kidding? <laughs> it's oh, so great. great. And then when he crashes the car and catches on fire and she's there and she's yeah. like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, all right, fix it. <laughs> Get your act together. Oh, Let's go. Love her. Love that her. was the same Great point point. I was going to point out. So I'm glad you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on to scoring, I do want to bring up my one, my one issue, my one mm-hmm. major flaw that kind have, of stuck out to me. I have one issue as well. I wonder if it's the same. It might be. I don't know. 
Oh, but before that, before we do that, I just want to point out that James Mangold, specifically when he was working on the film and directing it and deciding how he wanted to handle it, he specifically didn't put Molly's character in the background because it, she, he thought it was such a good character that he didn't just want to relegate her to yeah. that st uh, stereotype and let her shine. And I think she brings so much more color and dynamic to this film. Yeah, she really does kind of, she provides a lot of life to the movie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and a lot of good humor, so. Absolutely. I love when she's watching them fight and then it's like, hey, I've got to go to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Ice cream. <laughs> Maybe some bread. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what was your one issue with it? My one issue was just how rushed and tacked on the ending felt. Mm. Um, the last five or so minutes after, basically after Lamar, um, I understand that this was real life events, that it happened, that he, he died uh, in a test drive or whatever. That was rough, wasn't it? It was, but it felt so rushed. And I honestly think they could have ended the movie before his death and maybe added his death to the, to like the text at the end. Um, but it just, it felt kind of, this, this movie felt like it was trying to be a fairly uplifting movie about your passion and, and uh, just your, your calling and your drive to do things. And uh, winning Le Mans and getting the nod from Ferrari felt like the pinnacle of that. And like that was the emotional yeah. peak there, and I wanted to just kind of wind it down. Maybe even the last shot, as Miles giving the thumbs up to Peter as he's driving off for that test drive. Um, yeah, it just it felt a little tacked on to me. I wasn't a big fan of the ending. I hear you. I can't say I agree. Part of it is this is a true story, and as we've discussed. And I could understand that sort of ending in a purely fictional story, but I think to the integrity of Ken Miles the Man and the entire story as a whole, I thought it was important to have that scene and it was heartbreaking when it crashes and Peter's looking on and they all rush out to head towards the car and Matt just, I'm sorry, Carol just stops and looks back at Peter. Yeah, that was a great shot. I think those last 10 minutes or so, the epilogue, if you will, I think is important because it wraps up Carol Shelby's story. I, I would think I would have felt a little lacking had they not wrapped that up. So I can't say I agree with you, but I hear what you're saying. Okay, that's fair enough. So the only issue I have with this film, and it's a minor one, is about three years pass from the first race in the film to Le Mans in 66. So it starts in 63 with Ken racing and it ends in 1966. And you don't really get that. Yeah, I, I didn't get that at all. <laughs> yeah, I understand there's a lot going on, but unless you, you caught the mention to, uh, I think he's arguing with one of the race officials and there's a reference to a 1963, a 1962 rule book, and it's the year 1963. And obviously the, the, the race is in 1966. Like you, you wouldn't have picked up on it if you didn't know 
that's my one minor beef with the film is that it takes place over a span of a few years, but it's not really mentioned, which I think yeah. is fine. I think it's fine yeah, for the, this film. The timeline, the timeline's a little screwy because you never really get a sense of how long this testing is taking place, how long they're actually building the car for and all that. Right. And they probably could have added a ticker or timestamps and all of that, but I think it would have felt a little artificial. Yeah, it doesn't detract from the movie in any huge way. It's just one of those things that like it's it's hard to keep track of. Right. So before we get to the grading, I just want to point out one more performance that I really enjoyed, and that was his role diminishes as the film goes on, but John Bernthal's Lee Iacocca, I thought he did a really good job. Yeah, he played against type. Usually he's just the gruff, intense guy, but right. I really liked him. I, I really enjoyed him and his kind of the middleman. He's trying to keep the company happy, but he's also trying to keep uh he's trying to keep Carol Shelby happy. Yeah. Yeah. One one final thing I'll point out is throughout the film, Carol asks multiple people to trust him. He asks mm-hmm. Lee to trust him. I believe he even asks Leo Beebe. He asks Henry Ford II to trust him. And none of them do. And then at the end of the film, he asks Ken to trust him. And Ken does yeah. trust him. Yeah. Which, Which I thought was nice. It, it was. So I thought that was really awesome. We should get That's to rankings. Yeah. It's a good detail. I like yeah. that. Um, I'll jump right out with my ranking. I'm giving this an 8.5 out of 10. Awesome. Um, it's just, I've been trying to think of interesting ways to describe how I feel about this movie, but it's just a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> like everything came together well. The, the performances, the direction, the script is tight and effective, and mm-hmm. it's just so watchable. Like I said, like this right. is a this is an evergreen for me. I don't have to be in the mood to watch this movie. I can just put it in and love it every time. I feel like. And it it's a two and a half hour movie, but you never sense oh, that. It feels like an hour and a half. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering why you never. Just out of curiosity, was there a particular reason why you didn't see it in theaters? Never got to it. That's it was fair. Or Knives Out, and I chose Knives Out. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Knives Out is an incredible yeah. film. So this might be a little controversial, and I'm going back and forth on it in my head, at least controversial to you. But I would say Ford versus Ferrari is my favorite film of 2019. Over awesome. Knives Out. Nice. I'm going to give this a 9.25. Wow. Beautiful film. I love this film so much. It's... yeah. Like you said, rewatchable, <laughs> incredibly rewatchable. I'm so glad you liked it. As I was watching it, and you had, you finished it a little earlier than I did, I was racked with angst, wondering if you liked it more so than anything else I've ever asked you to watch. <laughs> wow, wow! I think it was because I was watching it, and you finished it, and I'm watching the film realizing again how wonderful the film is and i just thought to myself if he doesn't like this i don't know if we can continue <laughs> it's a well, great- if you're not i i loved it it's great 
I'm, I'm so glad you did. Are you, yeah. you think we're about ready to move on to segment two? Uh, before we do, I just want to, just want to get a, get a thing. So uh, Ford versus Ferrari is number one, our two and three knives out at 1917. Number two is definitely knives out. I got to rethink it would probably be 1917, but I'm blanking on a couple other films. So it's hard to say, but that would be a, a tentative top three. Cool. Yes. Awesome. Let's move on. All right, segment two, guys, this week, we are going to be looking at the best performances of films at all time, really. (laughs) These aren't going to be the deepest cuts, but these are films and performances, performances, rather, that we thought were very underappreciated, or maybe someone else in the film got so much praise that someone was overlooked very much like Ken Miles at the end of the Lamont. <laughs> so we yeah, are going to basically these are performances that we really like and we think should get more attention. That is a very apt way to put it. I should let you do that. <laughs> We're going to try to get through this as much as possible. I mean, as many as possible. And why don't we start with your first one, Elijah? Yeah. Uh, I won't spend too long of each of these, but we do want to talk about them. My first one is Emily Blunt as the baker's wife in Into the Woods. Ooh, Emily Blunt. I know she's a great actress. I have not seen Into the Woods, so tell me about it. Yeah. Or her performance. Into the Woods is a film adaptation of the very famous Broadway musical. Um, it is a fantasy. It's it's a good movie. It's not mind-blowing. It's It got middling reviews and I'd say it's pretty good, but Emily Blunt shines as the baker's wife. She's so lovable and upbeat and fun, and it's just her singing is great. Every, everything in this movie is sung, by the way. There's very little actual dialogue, and <laughs> she just, it's hard to pinpoint why I love this performance so much, but she just embodies that motherly fun, lighthearted, almost bouncy vibe so well. And she's just so charismatic. And you just, you just kind of, she's one of those characters that draws you more into the story. Um, And uh, her chemistry with everyone, especially James Corden, who plays the baker, um, is great. She's just so lovable in this role. And I have never heard anyone talk about any of the performances in Into the Woods. And I think she really deserves some recognition for just bringing such an amazing, um, upbeat spirit to this movie that kind of really made it for me. Your number one is really interesting. My number one yeah. is Emily Blunt as Evelyn Abbott in A Quiet Place. Hey, Emily Blunt's pretty awesome. (laughs) Also a film with very little dialogue, but for other reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Emily Blunt plays Evelyn Abbott. Although her name is never mentioned in the film, you have to do a little bit of digging to find any of the characters' names. You could just watch the credits. Or you could just watch the credits, which I neglected to do, always. She plays the wife of Lee Abbott, 
in this in the Abbott family, a family struggling to survive in a world where you cannot make a sound, otherwise you will be hunted by a blind e monster. Creepy, yep. creepy little thing. Her performance is so incredible. She's so lovable. You you she's obviously married to John Krasinski, who plays Lee Abbott, her husband in the film. So that chemistry is not on screen. That is their real chemistry. Yep. It's it's so touching. The moment where they are dancing in the basement to Neil Young's Harvest Moon, which is one of my favorite songs. That was such a beautiful moment. I love all her interactions with her children in the film. There's a moment where she's homeschooling Noah Jupe's character, and he's afraid to go out hunting with his father in the woods, and she just, you know, she tries to lighten the mood and encourage him, and she's just so lovable, so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it with my sister, and every time Emily Blunt showed up, she was like, there's Emily Blunt doing mom things. Awesome mom things. <laughs> she was so, yeah. so great. And the entire sequence of her giving birth while this monster was hunting her. I was hoping you'd mention that. How can I not? Yeah. I was on the edge of my seat. I felt her angst. I could almost feel her pain. Oh. It's a little more than angst. That was... It was a little, yeah, it was definitely, it was dread. It was so much yeah. dread. She's awesome. I know she's one of your favorite, your favorite actress. And she is my favorite actress. Yeah. She, she was absolutely great in this film. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, my second pick is going to be Jeff Bridges as Daniel Flynn in Ooh. Bad Times at the El Royale. <laughs> Another film I have not seen. Yeah, you should. It's <laughs> so good. Um, Tell me about it. Jeff Bridges. I will. It's a story about a bunch of strangers coming to a hotel and then a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it, but Jeff Bridges plays a priest, Father Daniel Flynn. And Jeff Bridges is great in basically everything Jeff Bridges is in. Um, yes. Yeah, but he brings so much vulnerability to this character in a lot of his other movies he's the rough gruff guy without much um behind the hardened tough guy mask you know mm -hmm. um but he has such he hides such an emotional vulnerability that's revealed through his backstory and he's captivating to watch he embodies this priest character so well and yeah um he is kind of kind of the main character um <laughs> but the he forms this friendship with one of the other main characters darlene and he plays so well off darlene and it's such a sweet little relationship and it's 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 this really nice little haven of humanity and vulnerability amidst all the crazy stuff that's going on and jeff bridges just embodies it so well I, I love that performance it really swept me away as did the rest of the movie it sounds like a movie i'm gonna end up watching eventually yes when it's finally available to rent somewhere i don't know why it's not <laughs> yeah i i sense you'll be having me watch that as soon as possible yes 
so much, yes. My number two. Yeah. I want to preface this by saying this was a highly praised film. And the acting was highly praised in the film. However, Um, I believe this actor's co-star got a lot of the praise. And he was overshadowed a little bit. She even won Best Actress that year. Okay. Ryan Gosling (laughs) as Sebastian Wilder in La La Land. Fair enough, yeah. He is awesome. I love this film. He is hilarious. I love the back and forth banter between him and Emma Stone's Mia, specifically at the pool party. And he's decked out in his 80s cover band garb. I ran. (laughs) I ran. And he makes the, how could you ask a, what what did, what does he say? A, A real artist. How could you ask a real pianist to play I, Iran. I think it's like a, a serious musician. A serious or something musician. Like that. That's exactly it. <laughs> and then the whole he puts the glasses on. He's like, I guess I'll see you in the movies. <laughs> oh, he's great. I love the passionate. I love how invested he is in her achieving her dream. Yeah. And when he goes out to Boulder City, Nevada, and he's arguing with her and just starts in the middle of the night just screaming on the street, yelling at her why explain to me why <laughs> it's so great i love it and then yeah. he says i'll be out here at because she has an audition and she refused to go to it and he drove all yeah. the way to get her and he says i'll be out here at eight you'll be here or not i don't know he gets there <laughs> he waits 10 seconds and goes to pull out and <laughs> she grabs the latch right as he's doing it and he's getting coffee he's getting coffee Okay, great. Yep, yep. He just plays so, it off so well. So well. And he he absolutely hits all the emotional moments mm-hmm. so well. It's and almost, it's a little against type because La La Land's a lot, parts of it are a lot happier than his usual performances. Yeah. He's very stoic a lot of he the time. Is. And I know he got a lot of heat for his dancing and his singing, but I, I, I thought he did a great job. But the last thing I'll point out is that he learned every piece of music by rote for this film. Yeah, yeah. He, they had, memorized, he doesn't play piano and he memorized right. the songs. The first day that they were going to have him play piano, they had a hand double on set just in case. Yeah. And he blew them away and they never had the hand double come back for the rest of the film. Yeah. And I so love... awesome. <laughs> I love that John Legend's there, who's famous for playing the uh, keyboard and the piano, and they don't have him play any. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So I've yeah. did I use this as an excuse to talk about La La Land? Maybe. Yes. Do I care? Maybe. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, I'll always talk about La La Land, dude. Um, my number three is the one. I believe it's the only uh, vocal performance we have today, and. This movie got a ton of praise. The whole cast got a ton of praise, but I just, I need to emphasize again how amazing Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir <laughs> in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is. Yeah. Man, he just steals the show. So many great lines. So many great lines. 
in my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. I like to drink egg creams, and I like to fight Nazis a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I light a match and let it burn down to my fingertips just to feel something. <laughs> oh, it's so good. He it's doesn't hilarious. have a huge role, but oh. every word out of his mouth is just gold. It's hilarious. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. I love, I love it. it. I love it. I won't I won't spend too much time on it. It's a small role. Yeah. <laughs> he steals the show. No, he's awesome. I, I'm glad you mentioned him. My number three. Emma Stone. No. Uh I don't <laughs> think she counts for this in yeah. La La Land. Uh this is not a joke. Ryan Gosling as Agent K in Blade Runner 2049, which is a film that is incredibly underappreciated. And all of you fans out there, all of you people out there, why did you not go see this film? Just, 83 million. Why did you? What shame. is wrong with you? For shame. Do you even breathe? Do you have feelings? Apparently not. Are you a replicant? I bet you don't even know what a replicant <laughs> is. You know why? Because you didn't go see this movie. Ryan Gosling as Agent K is the complete opposite of Sebastian. Yep. He's not even human. Best tragic character of the modern era, in my opinion. I might agree with you. His story, his arc is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spoil anything because I know no one's seen this movie. Watch the movie. You probably deserve for it to be spoiled. You oh, wow, that's a low blow. Because <laughs> you don't deserve the greatness of this film. But every the, the emotional journey he goes on and the ending is is Ellen in the background? <laughs> Apparently someone's walking yellow. <laughs> the journey the he goes on. <laughs> sing, Ellen, sing. <laughs> okay, the journey he goes on and where he ends up in the film is so opposite a stereotype it's incredible i don't want to say anymore because you need to go watch this movie yep that's my number three amazing love it uh number four for me these are not in any order by the way mm -hmm. at least for uh, me yeah i'm just they're not just for me either number. yeah uh this one is this one's a deep cut i'll okay. say that uh susan sarandon Yes, this is a as deep mom cut. Racer, <laughs> as mom racer in Speed Racer. Um, <laughs> I have, okay. Full confession, Speed Racer is my number five favorite movie of all time. Oh. It's unironic. I adore every frame of it. I love it. And we don't have to get into that right now. Guys, but, I know. I'm there with you. I don't understand no, it. It's amazing. It's a masterpiece. It's Lukowski's best film. Yes, I said it. I know I've seen The Matrix. Don't worry. Um, I'm sorry, Susan guys. I, I want to apologize to our listening audience out there. I'm sorry for that bad take. That is a good take. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> Susan Saradon. Susan Saradon is such a good movie mom. She is so kind and caring. She makes great pancakes. <laughs> she has great chemistry with her on-screen children and husband. She's just such a She's just a great mom, and she's really sweet and really endearing, and she has one of my favorite scenes in the movie with Speed. 
uh, they're talking in the room and Speed's talking about how uh, he doesn't know if he wants to do this anymore, how he feels like racing doesn't really matter or what he does doesn't really matter or whatever. And she gives this beautiful speech to him about how he, when she watches him race, she watches him make art and that he's an artist when he is behind the wheel and that she just, he takes her breath away. And mm. it's, it's really maybe even the emotional center of the movie where Speed kind of realizes that on our ironically kind of like Ken Miles, he needs to race. Yeah. Um, and Susan Sarandon plays that scene so beautifully. It's, it has made me tear up in the past, and I'm not joking. Um, it's a beautiful, subtle performance for a more minor character that is mm. also balanced out by lots of fun, lighthearted, upbeat, sweet mom stuff. She's just super awesome in that movie, and I love that performance so much. In my opinion, nobody beats Emily Blunt as a movie mom. She's the best, but... I'm not going to argue with your pick there. I appreciate that. Very few times will you not argue about Speed Racer with me. <laughs> uh, my, we're on number four, correct? Yeah, number four. Yeah. Ryan Gosling in The Notebook. Okay, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to go for the, the triple. Ryan crack. Gosling in Love Actually. Wait, no, freak. That's the wrong one. Crazy I think stupid he's love. in Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Ryan Gosling in Drive. Ryan Gosling in Remember the Titans. Ryan Gosling. Drive is great, by the way. I've not seen it. I would like to watch see Drive. it. <laughs> Just Ryan Gosling in general is great. Yeah. What's your number four? <laughs> Ryan Gosling. No. <laughs> My number four. This takes us back to the 90s. Val Kilmer as oh. Doc Holliday in Tombstone. Okay, I'm going to say right now, I don't want spoilers for Tombstone. I've not seen it, but it's on my watch list. He is awesome. Also, the fact that this movie is on your list excites me because it is a Western. It is awesome. Kurt Russell, by the way, bears a striking resemblance in that film to the actual Wyatt Earp, who he plays. I encourage you to look up a picture of Wyatt Earp and then look at a picture of Kurt Russell playing Wyatt Earp. It's very similar. This film's awesome. I'm really excited for you to watch it. I will definitely pick it on the podcast coming up here soon. But Val Kilmer blew me away. I wasn't expecting much, but he captured every scene. He was awesome. The bravado, the arrogance. He just captures every moment he is on screen. And I'll say this. Best line of all time. I'm your Huckleberry. Oh, it is, it is the weirdest craziest such a good line it is iconic i love val kilmer as doc holiday i'm gonna be honest with you out of context that sounds like the worst line of all time (laughs) sounds a little salacious i'm your huckleberry (laughs) yeah i don't i don't want you to i'm wearing headphones that was inside of my ears what you just said and i did not enjoy it (laughs) it's so it's in reference he says that and it was a it was a common saying back in the day, not the 90s, but in the 1800s. There was a guy that was trying to provoke Wyatt Earp into a shootout, and Wyatt Earp said no. And Doc Holliday 
says, I'm your Huckleberry, implying I'm the man. I'm your man. I'll do it. I believe you. <laughs> so, um, Thank you for the explanation. That didn't help much, but I'll watch the movie and maybe it'll make more sense. That didn't help much. I don't see how that didn't help much. It was a pretty good explanation. So. Okay. You're I'm, just lame. <laughs> I'm super lame. And my number five pick is, Ryan Gosling. Uh, no, but I wish. I Benicio wish. del Toro. Benicio oh. del Toro as Alejandro in Sicario. Oof. Brutal. Talk about brutal. Brutal. You said it. I, Emily Blunt is phenomenal in this movie. Hey, Emily Blunt again. She's pretty great. Uh, but Benicio del Toro is just almost haunting. He's almost like a haunting presence over this movie instead of a character. Um, yeah. And Sicario actually stands for or uh, means hitman, and he is the hitman in the movie. Um, and I haven't seen this movie in a while, but his performance will always stand out for just being so subdued. It's a subdued performance, but it somehow hangs over the whole movie. Like you feel his presence whenever he's there. And especially in that last sequence where he breaks down, breaks into the, that bad guy's house mm -hmm. and is just, Ugh. murders them all in cold blood it's spoilers yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's brutal it is almost hard to watch at some points but del toro brings that terrifying character to life flawlessly del toro's role in this film was really complicated for me because up until the last 30 minutes of the film i was really trying to figure out where he stood yeah is he this rogue guy? Is he a by the book? I, I'm not obviously he wasn't a by the book, but what what was his angle? What was his game? And then at the end, you just realize it, and it is brutal. It is brutal. Anyway, let's. Is, is your number five pick any happier? What do we got? <laughs> Should I make another Ryan Gosling joke? I think we're. I think we've run that bit dry a little bit. <laughs> All right. Then I'll say Haley Steinfeld in as Maddie Ross in Feld, Steinfeld, Steinfeld, Stein. It's not Seinfeld. I know that. Steinfeld. Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld as Maddie Ross in True Grit. There you go. She First was try. hilarious. Her role was incredible. And I wonder what it's like for someone when their best role of their career happens when they're 13 years old. I don't know. It's gotta be rough, but she was incredible in this film. She captures every moment. Her banter with these older characters is amazing. Specifically the scene where she is trying to barter the horse, the guy who sold a set of horses to her father. She, she, convinces him to buy the horses back despite the fact that he has no interest in doing so it's awesome the fact that they don't use any contractions in this film is amazing because <laughs> i don't know why but her delivery on everything i do not i cannot will not <laughs> it made me laugh so many times there's a scene halfway through the film where they're in this cabin interrogating these bad guys 
and she is trying to coax this younger guy into giving her information. And she says, I like you. My lawyer will help you. And then the other bad guy threatens the younger guy. And she looks at him with this dead stare and says, I do not like you. My lawyer will not help you. <laughs> it's great. It is so great. She's, she's so good in that film. She's probably my favorite part of the movie, mm-hmm. which I didn't love, but she was great. Yeah. Um, and my last one is Ryan Gosling and First Man. Yes. Oh my gosh. Another Ryan Gosling. Uh, it wasn't, but I thought I'd, you know, pick the joke back up for you. Oh, I honestly <laughs> thought, crap. Well, <laughs> no, that was, I honestly that was thought that was your sixth, and I was really excited. And you disappeared. He's good in First Man. I'm not going to lie. First Man was pretty good, but uh, my actual sixth pick <laughs> is Andy Serkis as Caesar in Planet of the Apes. Mm, and that is great pick. Undeniably, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's the best motion capture performance of all time. Caesar just feels so real. And that is definitely in part because of the incredible visual effects artists behind it. But Circus, like, he is a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you watch those movies, it's like, he is a monkey. And I don't know how you become a monkey. <laughs> mm. It's it's crazy. All the apes are fantastic in those movies, but Andy Serkis just is above and beyond with his motion capture work. He embodies these animals so well and gives such a fantastic emotional edge to Caesar. Like he's a vulnerability to Caesar based on where he came from in his past and how he truly does care about his apes. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of the best one of the better trilogy characters in recent memory, I think, mm. Caesar. I gotcha. I think, personally, I like Andy Serkis' performance as Smeagol in terms of his mocap performances. I like it more. I think it was a role. He basically revolutionized, practically invented mocap with that performance as Smeagol. And his performance as Caesar is a fulfillment of that. And it just brings mocap to the next level. Absolutely. So that is, that is a great pick on your behalf. Thank you. And your final one. My final one. Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Creed in Creed. Nice. Very nice. He is phenomenal in this film and the journey that the character goes on is incredible it's a very emotional film it's about really about his anger towards his dead father yeah anger about the fact that he's not there for him that he made a lot of mistakes in his life that he died in the ring there's so much anger built up so much emotion sorrow sadness and grief that it really beautifully plays out on screen michael b jordan fills this role so well he he plays adonis as well as carl weathers played apollo creed which is 
which is a high praise because Carl Weathers played Apollo great. The on-screen rapport that Jordan has with Tessa Thompson and Sylvester Stallone, one of my favorites, this is one of my favorite franchises, uh, is phenomenal. It's so believable. There, It's one of the, when I say one of the most believable films, I mean it's one of the films that draws attention away from the fact I'm watching a movie but experiencing a film. I'm very high on this film. I'm not sure where you're at, but I think it's undeniable. His role, his performance in this film is absolutely stellar. Yeah, man. Creed is great. And Michael B. Jordan's ripped. Yes. Yes, we all desire to be ripped like Michael B. Jordan. I would not complain. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's that's a fantastic choice. Thank you. I Both of the Creed it. movies are great. Mm. Yes, the whole Rocky franchise is great. But that sure. is a conversation for another time. Yeah. And it looks like we're almost out of time. Indeed. Sad as it may be. It is time for our farewell. <laughs> I almost <laughs> broke out into song from The Sound of Music, but I thought maybe that reference might get lost on you. Yeah, I've never seen The Sound of Music. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good thing I didn't. Any yeah. last words, Elijah? Uh, I cannot express how great both of the movies we watched for mm. this episode are, and you should watch both, and you should also watch Blade Runner 2049. Yes, you should. That's been Elijah. I've been Forrest. You guys have been beautiful. Thank you for listening. Bye. Next week, we are watching... It's a classic episode, even though there's much debate on what a classic film is. We're watching Raging Bull, that is Elijah's pick, and 12 Angry Men. In our second segment, we will be asking the question, what if best scene was an Oscar category? And then we'll be talking about which films of the year 2017 would be nominees and winners of that category. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Until next time. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.